0: Welcome to Lion and Lamb. Uh, if you want, we're going to be in 1 John three surprise, and uh, if you want to turn there, that'd be helpful. Uh, but before we get started, I want to take a little poll. Okay, uh, if you remember where the subtitle of this message, don't you want somebody to love? was sung years and years ago, please raise your hand. Okay? Keep your hand up now. Keep your hand up. Young people, regardless of what they say about contemporary music, these are the old rockers. Alright. Alright. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that might be true. I mean, I still know about it, You know, I and... know I would, I'm not on Sunday morning going, going to show you a video of a 60s rock band like some people. <laughs> but I'm not opposed to showing you the album cover. All right? Uh, yeah, Jefferson Airplane... 1967. Yeah, that hurts. And the pretty girl in the back is uh, Gracie Slick. Now, today, she's Grandma Gracie. She's 80. Yeah, (laughs) it makes you feel old. And see, uh, Gracie had a powerful voice. And the song, Somebody to Love, was a freight train. I mean, it got rolling and rumbling and it had a beat and you just went with it. Okay? It was extremely powerful. Uh, The lyrics are so meaningless. (laughs) And I I did an exhaustive research online with, with no less than three minutes. And... And I concluded that nobody really knows what the composer was trying to convey. Alright? You know, uh, but, but who am I? I mean, these 20-somethings made hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars on this one song. I mean, it, it's crazy. Uh, back in those days, I don't think they put the lyrics on the album covers, so nobody really cared. It was the feel of the song and this song had no coherence as far as I can tell, with the possible exception of the very beginning, where Gracie belted out, when the truth is found to be lies, and all the joy within you dies. Don't you want somebody to love? Don't you need somebody to love? Wouldn't you want, wouldn't you love to have somebody to love? You better find somebody to love. And with that chorus, which is the one thing everybody could understand in the song, Gracie, or the composer, struck a basic if not primal cord, with everybody. Because who doesn't want somebody to love and to be loved by? The question is, where do you find love? And of course, we don't want to look for love in all the wrong places, so for you and I, we want to look at God's Word. And what does the Bible say about love? Well, as you probably know, quite a bit. Quite a bit. Uh, But what we're going to find in our passage today is that love has this strange connection with our conscience, with the healing of guilt, and ultimately with the assurance of our salvation. So let's launch in here. We're going to start at verse 18 of 1 John 3. And there it says, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is His commandment, that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as He has commanded us. Whoever keeps His commandments abides in God and God in Him. And by this we know that He abides in us by the Spirit whom He has given us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you are worthy, you are magnificent, Lord Please help us to discern today how love, genuine love, can heal and can give us assurance of our salvation. I pray, Lord, that uh, the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be acceptable to you at this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Our main point today is that biblical truth and the Holy Spirit bring assurance but also comfort. Uh, Last month, I mentioned that if you want to find the best symbol for love, it's not the heart, it's the cross. Because that is a symbol of genuine love. But the word heart is an important one. It appears in the Word of God about a thousand times. And it has various meanings, of course, but Think about this when somebody uses the word heart in a non biological sense, what do people usually think about? Isn't it more just about feelings? Usually, Uh, but when we consider all the factors and the influences, all the things going on within us, it should appear clear that the heart is much more complicated than just feelings, and so. In today's message, by the word heart, I mean one's inner being, uh, which includes emotions for sure, but also one's mind and will and even conscience. And this gift of God, the heart, helps each of us to make moral choices. We, of course, express emotion, but it also helps us to look inside, to be introspective. And when we do that, we find some good and Some not so good from time to time. A couple weeks ago, Christy and I uh, were on vacation, and uh, uh, she's really active on vacation. So uh, one night we were just tired, and we were on the couch, and we decided to visit that what they used to call the vast wasteland, which when we only had three networks, and now it's got to be a galaxy of waste. Okay, but we didn't have one of those little guides that tells you what all the channels were. So we did this thing, I think it's called surfing, okay, where it's, nah, Eh, nah, no, no, no. And then (laughs) eventually somewhere near the 300 or 500 channels, we finally got to the Hallmark Channel. Oh, (laughs) <laughs> and it sounds like most of you people have seen Hallmark movies, very clean, some would say sterile. Okay, but we figured, okay, we can live with this. And if you you know if you look at these movies, usually during Christmas, but at other times, they all have the same plot. Okay, so there's always a young couple who fall in love, and and in this particular one, uh, the young lady is agonizing over whether she should follow her career or follow the young man and marry him and go to another country. And she went in this dilemma and her sweet, consoling sister said, follow your heart. And I've got no doubt that phrase is in every Hallmark movie. (laughs) But, you know, we often use those kinds of phrases like, I know in my heart of hearts. Or... Let your conscience be your guide. Uh, however, a biblical perspective of the heart tells us that it is deceptive above all things. Desperately sick. Who can understand it? And Jeremiah 17, and the very next verse gives us, thanks, thankfully, an answer. warns us, it is God who searches and tests the heart and mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. But, you know, we can recognize the infidelity of our own hearts. We have this internal guard in our heart, normally called the conscience, which plays a vital role in keeping us on track morally and in our relationship with others and with God. So, for some, perhaps many, That recognition of our weaknesses and our failures, maybe outright sin, can lead to self-criticism, maybe even condemnation. And that can be a result of oversensitivity, of poor health, of melancholy disposition, perhaps, maybe life circumstances, or maybe just plain old-fashioned guilt over a particular sin. And what John is trying to point out to us here, that (coughs) believers, even mature believers can suffer from a condemning heart. And if if one does, they want healing. They want a cure for a hurting heart. And that cure is found in God's Word, in the Gospel. So we're in the middle of an expository study of the book of 1 John uh, called That You May Know That You Have Eternal Life. And that's the whole purpose of the book. So let's get started here, starting on verse 18. There it says, Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we know we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. So, you know, I don't know if you remember, but last month we had a bridge verse, and this is another bridge verse. Uh, It was actually part of last month's teaching. And it tells us that love is not only expressed, but it's demonstrated by action, and it is rooted in truth. In other words, it's got to be genuine and not motivated by self-interest. If you remember the car battery analogy, okay? The engine of love in our lives must be securely connected to both (coughs) poles of the positive action and grounded in the truth. Uh, Verse 19 explains that if we are well-connected to both, that reality in our lives, uh, that genuine love, helps us to come to know we are of the truth. That that truth, in turn, reassures our heart before Him. However, this type of love, heart love, is not like flipping on a switch. Uh, we can talk, and we can teach about it, but it's much easier said than done. And it's the action, the serving the, the doing part that usually trips us up. Uh, and, you know, uh, it, that serving might be public and really exciting, exhilarating, but usually it's private, mundane, behind-the-scenes, ordinary, small, even humbling sacrifices. And that's where we struggle. Let me just try to make a, a, a statement here about the progression of a true Christian Proceeds something like this, confession with the mouth and genuine belief in the heart that leads to salvation. And our gratefulness for that salvation leads to obedience. And part of that obedience is to love others. But love requires action and service, and service requires humility. And when we're humbly serving, loving others, that brings us back to reassurance of our salvation. Now, verse 20. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and He knows everything. Now, even though we have read and been taught that Christ has paid for all of our sins, a true believer can still experience a guilty conscience over sin. Now, if you've confessed your sin and still have pangs of guilt, You need to look to your loving Father and realize that He means what He says in His Word, that there, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, is 1 John 1. So at this point, let's step back and take a look at what we've studied already. Again, our purpose in 1 John is to solidify or achieve assurance of salvation. And we learned that in order to do that, there are certain markers of assurance that can be summarized with some simple questions. The first is, of course, belief. Do I really believe in my heart that Jesus died for my sins and paid the price to satisfy God's perfect justice with His perfect love? And that, if so, should lead to obedience. Do I consistently, albeit imperfectly, Love and obey God as I ought. Both His Word and the promptings of His Holy Spirit. And finally, as part of that, obedience. Am I loving others as He has commanded? Okay? You got those three down, you you should have assurance. Now, let's face reality. We all, if we're all honest with ourselves, we know that we stumble, we fall. There'll be times when we doubt, we covet, Become impatient, angry, perhaps even hate, disobey God's commands. And when that happens, does it bother you? Does it? If so, great! You know, that means you have an active conscience. It is good that you feel bad about sin. Now, not having a guilty conscience over open or hidden sin, at best, would be evidence of a hardened or a calloused heart. And at worst, it might be evidence that you're really not saved at all. Now, we've all experienced guilt. All of us know it is not good to continue on with it. We have guilt because we know we cannot meet God's perfect righteousness. Therefore, Uh, When we feel guilt, John calls us simply to run to our Father and His Son. So, many people will emphasize God's grace, mercy, and love. However, John wants to give us more to grab onto in order to cure a condemning conscience. Let's start by comparing a couple of words. Okay? Conscience and omniscience. If you notice... They have a common root, science, uh, which comes from the Latin root, uh, noun, knowledge, or verb, to know. Now, don't let that etymology confuse you about the practice of science today, okay? Which could probably be, uh, you know, labeled as the pursuit of knowledge, But there are many things that scientists use or talk about that they do not know, objectively. They can't see them, they can't measure them, but they are presuppositions. And people tend to give way too much credence to a scientist that they hear who says something that other scientists disagree with. So, it's a different type of a thing. Uh, We. this is true of any expert in any field, but I digress. These two words can be distinguished by their prefixes. The word con means with. So when we speak or act or think, we do so with knowledge. We have a conscience that it is right or wrong. And this isn't just believers, this is unbelievers as well, as Paul tells us in Romans 2. It is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. When the Gentiles, who do not have the law, by nature do what the law requires, they are a law unto themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written in their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts either accuse or even excuse them on that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Jesus Christ. Hey, I'm going to throw this in for free as a little apologetic pointer here. If you run into a hardened atheist or a materialist uh, who says matter and energy, that's all there is, a good question to ask him might be. Uh, From what did the first conscience originate? Okay? I just threw that in. We'll move back here. Uh, The word omni, though, means all. So God has certain characteristics. He is all powerful, omnipotent. He is everywhere, he's omnipresent. And of course, we are studying right now, he's all knowing and omniscient. So you and I, we have a conscience. But God has got omniscience. Now verse 20 reminds us that the Father is all-knowing. He knows my sin and yours. He knows when I confess, whether I mean it or not. John explains how conscience and omniscience interact. When we fail, uh, fail to love others in our actions and truth as we're called to do, Our conscience engages us and calls us out from within. And if our conscience causes guilt because the conscience resides in imperfect beings, that guilt can be too harsh, it can be too lenient, or it can be accurate. In other words, one should really not solely follow their heart. Rather, the Holy Spirit. So John reassures us that God is greater than our heart and God knows everything. And this means that that God sees and knows all of our failures, all of our excesses, all of our shortfallings, even when we don't. But even though He knows us and how messed up we are, how broken we are on the inside, He still loves and accepts us. For a believer... If the conscience is too lenient or maybe it's accurate, the Holy Spirit within will convict to the point of repentance, confession, and forgiveness. If, however, the conscience is too harsh and guilt overtakes us, we must always remember that there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So, the conscience of man is not worthless. It has an important function. But we must always submit our conscience to God's Word, His will, and His way. And to avoid condemnation, we must be in Christ Jesus. And our prayer should always be, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting Let's move on to to verse 21. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. Whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do what pleases Him. John's exhortation to function properly without unnecessary guilt starts with loving others, even though we do it imperfectly, as Jesus loves us. That's verse 18 which brings assurance that we're in the truth, genuinely loving as he commands. That's verse 19. And if our conscience tells us that something's off, something's amiss, we look to the source of that truth, which would be his word. The writer of Hebrews tells us that the word of God is quick and powerful and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart in Hebrews 4. And we're assisted or enabled in this process by the Holy Spirit, which works in us to convict of any true sin. Paul says that his conscience bears him witness in the Holy Spirit. And in John's gospel, Jesus uh, reminds us that the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you, all that I have commanded So, we are to do whatever is necessary to remove condemnation and guilt. John knows both sides. He calls his recipients beloved. Some versions say dear friends because he knows we're vulnerable to a condemning conscience. And he follows with encouragement to trust God's word, to correct the conscience, and remove the guilt. This shifts the conscience away from our experience and our feelings to God's omniscience and His Word. When that condemnation has been removed, and we have a clear conscience, we have confidence and motivation before Him, and we can have confidence in our prayers. Now, these prayers come from a heart that keeps His commandments and does those things that please Him. Now, at this point, we need to have a little caution, okay? Okay? As Bill taught this morning, we always look at Scripture in context. And any verse must be taken with the whole counsel of God. So if you were to read verse 22 as an isolated promise, you might unwittingly come to a conclusion that God really is like a genie. I ask for it, so I get it. And that's exactly what some TV preachers have taught. But just a couple of pages later, John says, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him in 1 John 5. This is not a quid pro quo. I obey, I ask, he's obligated to give it to me. No, God doesn't owe us anything. He clearly has a plan bigger than my life or yours. And and that that plan is for His glory. And for His glory, it may mean that I have to suffer loss. I may lose a loved one. And as some Christians have found, I may be tortured. I may be put to death as a martyr. For His glory. Despite my prayers for something else. The key words in that passage are according to His will. That's exactly what Jesus' plea was on the cross. And when He has His will with us, that glorifies Him. And it should be our ultimate goal. Therefore, when it is our ultimate goal, we have the requests that we have asked of Him. Now, on the other hand, John meant to encourage us here to know who we are in Christ. He wants for us to have confidence, the kind of confidence like a child standing before his or her father rather than a guilty defendant before a judge. And Charles Spurgeon, the great Baptist preacher, you know, he, he says it better than anyone can. He who has a clear conscience comes to God with confidence. And that confidence of faith ensures to him the answer of his prayer. Childlike confidence makes us pray as no one else can. It makes a man pray for great things which he would never have asked for if he had not learned this confidence and makes him pray for little things which a great many are afraid to ask for because they have not yet felt towards God the confidence of children The man of obedience is the man whom God will hear because his obedient heart leads him to pray humbly and with submission for he feels it to be his highest desire that the Lord's will should be done. In short, when we live obedient lives that please our Father, we have a clear conscience, which gives us confidence that He will answer our prayers for our good and, And His glory. So the answer to our prayers may be yes, it may be no, it may be wait, but it all flows from a Father who knows us, knows our sins and our weaknesses, yet, despite our broken hearts, He still accepts us in Christ. Verse 23 This is His commandment that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as He has commanded us. Wow. In that simple verse, John encapsulates what it means to be assured of salvation. First, there's what we might call the doctrinal test, belief in the Son, Jesus as a Savior. And of course, believing infers that we follow and obey. And that leads to the second, the action test, love for one another. Again, Love is not just expressed. It's demonstrated by actions out of a pure motive. James reminded us that even though we're not saved by works, our faith without works is not weak. It's not a life support. It is dead. In other words, it has no meaning. It's worthless, powerless, and it cannot give us assurance of salvation. Again, the car battery. To empower that engine in our lives for Christ. Both the positive pole of action and the negative ground in truth must be firmly connected. Both are essential. If either is not connected, that battery or our faith is as good as dead. And verse 23 ends with, just as he has commanded us. You know, a lawyer once asked Jesus, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love your Lord your God, with all your heart, soul, and mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourselves. On these two commandments depend or hang all the law and the prophets. At that time, the whole word of God as revealed to man. So to summarize this important verse, to believe in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, means to place your trust completely and only in Jesus and His sacrifice as full payment for our sin to satisfy God's perfect justice by His perfect love. This is the biblical Christ. You either trust all of that Christ or no Christ at all. The evidence that we trust Him is that we love one another. And that command runs throughout the Bible. Most significantly, Jesus says in John 13, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you, that you are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. Paul puts it, it is not our works that save us, but only faith working through love in Galatians 5. Uh, Pastor John Piper states it well. The one all-embracing commandment of this letter is that we believe and that we love. These are the foundations of our assurance because these are the evidence of God's work. They are the testimony of His Spirit. Finally, verse 24. Whoever keeps His commandments abides in God and God in Him. And by this we know that He abides in us by the Spirit whom He has given us, this is the fourth time in three verses that God mentions keeping his, or that the, John mentions, keeping his commandments. So to best understand God, John's thrust here, it's best that we work back to front. God's given us a great gift, an advocate in the Holy Spirit, and, and with that gift, we know God abides in us, and we in Him. He who abides in God is characterized by, is known for one thing in particular. He keeps God's commandments. John ends this passage by setting up a contrast uh, between the true spirit of God and the false spirits of Antichrist that will come up in the next passage. In John 4, he calls us to test the spirits to see whether they are of God. And the Holy Spirit will enable us to know the false spirits who do not confess Jesus as God. John states that God has given believers His Spirit, part of the Trinity, And as a gift, we we don't deserve it, we don't earn it. And John says, God has given us this Spirit, which confirms that the Holy Spirit is received at the point of salvation. It's the Holy Spirit that motivates us first to confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord, and then gives us the power to live lives of obedience and especially to love one another. So, when we from time to time fall, when we stumble, as we are wont to do, and our hearts condemn us, as happens, we should look to the Holy Spirit, see whether it's really working. Are we obeying God's commands? Are we truly loving others? John explains that our Father does not want our hearts to hurt. He wants us to have clear consciences because that's His will. The good news is that regardless of your past mistakes, your gross sin, you and I can have a clear conscience. So as the worship team comes up right now... um, let me just end with this. I don't know if there's any visitors here, but if there are, we're not doing this kind of thing. Alright? Uh, sometimes known as faith healing. I don't know if that's casting... What is that? Uh, slaying somebody in the Spirit. Maybe that's what it is. No. No. I want to make clear here That if you're sick, uh, and maybe you might need to go to the hospital, you should call the elders of this church, and we will pray over you, we'll anoint you with oil. But we want you to understand that it's not the elders, it's not the oil, it's not some charismatic preacher up front that heals you. It is God who heals you, or maybe not, for His glory. But there is a sense in which your faith can heal you. You can be healed of a hurting heart. You can be healed of a condemning conscience. There is no personal problem too great for God to handle. No sin that cannot be forgiven and washed away by the blood of Christ. All it takes is humility and a submission to come to Christ on His journey terms. Accept the free gift of salvation. If you have not done that yet, if you're not sure that you've done that yet, please talk to one of us today. Don't put it off. If you have, if you've made that decision and you're sure of it, then grasp assurance, live with confidence and without guilt. Love your Father with gratefulness in your heart for His matchless love. Obey Him and love others. And if you really want and need somebody to love, well, turn your head. Father in heaven, you are great and you are awesome. And You have given us Your Holy Spirit to discern the truth from error, to discern true spirit from false. Lord, You have also given us the gift of love. Lord, we pray that You would work through Your Spirit to help us to love one another and have that full assurance that we are Your children destined for eternity with you. Thank you, Father, for the assurance that your word gives us. Thank you that you love us so much that you sent your son to pay the price to fulfill your perfect righteousness. That is an example that we cannot overlook. And if only the world would accept, they could find eternity with you as well. Father, help us to be messengers of the gospel, of the good news. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.